Sunday evenings. If you, this is the first time you've been here while we're studying it, you're kind of picking it up right in the middle. Chapter 14 is where we're at. And uh, we made quite a bit of time uh, last week going through chapter 14. And uh, I want to finish it up this evening in the time that we have. I want to say thank you to all of you young people for all the hard work that you did. Great job. Great job tonight singing. And uh, some of you might have been nervous. Some of you are excited. And um, uh, that's what happens when you stand up in front. Sometimes you're, you forget what you're going to say and all those sort of things. But you all did a great job. And I want to thank those of you who worked with our kids, too. Thank you for all your time. I appreciate it so much. Um, the daily devotions that the Patch, uh, the Pirate uh, program emphasizes, and that's really one of the major emphasis. They'll memorize one verse a week. And, uh, and then, of course, they attend and they learn how to sing. And I can tell you, my kids are better singers because of the Patch the Pirate program. And Leah and Mrs. Scott, thank you both for what you've accomplished in my children. And then, uh, but then one of the things that's such a big part of the Patch the Pirate program is the daily devotions. Well, what is that? That's getting in the Bible on a daily basis. And so uh, normally we'll do it as a family. I'll gather together with those three kids, or Cindy will. And, uh, and normally maybe Tori might read part, and Ian might read, part, read a part of it. We'll look up the verse. We'll read the verse together. And then they fill in the blanks for the verse. And, uh, and you know what? i got to tell you, there have been more than one occasion where I've been. In fact, I would almost say this. Almost every time I help my children with their Patch of the Pirate devotions, I get convicted. And uh, about just from the Word of God. And the power of the word of God. But it's teaching them things like kindness and uh, being gracious and how God is gracious and we ought to be gracious. And uh, so I just, I appreciate so much your investment in, in not just our children, but in our families' lives. Uh, so you all have, have convicted me through your ministry. I appreciate it very much. We're in Revelation chapter 14. And Josh, if we could move it ahead. I just want to uh, remind all of us where we're at. Um, just uh, in a nutshell, this is, Revelations is about the future. Most of it is prophetic. Um, we're still in the church age. That's uh, the time period that we're in right now. Um, it began at the resurrection, uh, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Uh, you see his crucifixion about 32 A.D., the resurrection, the church began, Pentecost. And uh, there's coming a day where the landscape of the world is going to change. And by that I mean God tells us in his word that there's coming a day where God is going to rapture. He's going to take to be with him uh, all those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all those who are born again. Uh, and so if you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when this day happens, most of us in this room are not going to be here. The world is going to be missing millions and millions of people, people who are Christians, okay? And you'll know where we are, okay? God's going to take us to be with him. My prayer for you is that you'd receive Jesus Christ before that day comes, and you'd be taken to be with him as well. Because after the rapture, the rapture is going to con commence or begin what the Bible calls in the Old Testament seven years of Jacob's trouble or seven years of Israel's trouble. 
And it's going to be seven years, uh, very difficult years upon the earth. The earth has never seen the likes of what the tribulation period is going to bring. The first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to support Israel, and he's going to try to make a league, at least in the beginning. At the middle point of the seven-year tribulation period, he's going to break his treaty with Israel, and he's going to begin to persecute Israel, and he's going to begin to persecute everybody who names the name of Christ and all those who worship God. In fact, in the second half of the tribulation period, toward the end, the false prophet, the religious leader for the Antichrist, who will be the world leader at that time, is going to demand that everybody in the face of the earth worship and depend wholly upon the Antichrist. And they're going to be required, the citizens of the world are going to be required to take a mark in their forehead or on their hand. And those who do not take that mark and do not worship the Antichrist and depend upon him are going to be persecuted. Many, many people are going to be saved during the tribulation period. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, and there comes a time when the world is shaken by this disappearance of many, many people, you'll know those were God's people and, and we're with the Lord. And uh, I want to tell you, you, there'll still be time for you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in the tribulation period. But I should also warn you that uh, during the tribulation period, those who believe upon the name of Jesus Christ are going to be persecuted. Many people are going to die because they believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of the seven years of Jacob's trouble, or the tribulation period, you see the return of the Messiah. That's going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. His first coming was coming as a lamb, uh, coming as a baby. You remember Jesus, we celebrate his birth at Christmas. And uh, he was born of a virgin, Mary, and he lived a sinless life, and he was wrongfully accused. He did many miracles. Um, he was rejected, primarily. Many received him, but many rejected him. And ultimately, Jesus Christ was crucified, not because he deserved death, but he was crucified and died in our place. He took the sins of the whole world upon his body, and he was crucified. That was his first coming. The second coming of Jesus Christ, the return of the Messiah, he's going to come back to earth as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I wanted to bring this up because it kind of will allow us, even if you haven't been working your way th uh, with us through this, this study of Revelation, it's going to allow you to understand a little bit of what we're studying here tonight in Revelation chapter 14. It will not be long, but I want it to be profitable. Let's look together in verse number 1, Revelation chapter 14, and we'll work our way through it. We've already studied most of it. I'll make some comments about the first half, and then we'll get to the second half, and we'll dig in a little bit here this evening. It says in verse 1 of Revelation 14, John says this, And I looked, and lo, a lamb... And the Lamb is capitalized there. We know it's the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. He stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. Now those are 144,000 Jewish Hebrew men um, who had been preaching the gospel and now are in heaven at this point. Verse 2. And I heard a voice uh, from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. So it's powerful. Uh, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. 
Verse 3, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Uh, Those are angelic beings. And the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. They'd been taken out of the earth. Verse 4, these are they which were not defiled with women. For they are virgins, these are they which follow the Lamb. They follow Jesus, whithersoever he goeth. These uh, were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile. They tell the truth, for they are without fault. They're blameless before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred, and tongue, and people. Now again, just pause for just a moment. The 144,000 had preached the gospel during the tribulation period. In the Old Testament, Israel was the primary method that God used to point everybody else to God. In the New Testament, the local church is the primary vehicle that God uses. We've been commanded, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Teaching, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world or the end of the earth. So the local church, that's our responsibility today. But remember, the church is going to be taken out of this world at the rapture. So where's the witness? Who's going to point people to Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is, you remember we study this in Revelation, God's going to send two men. And they're going to begin to preach the gospel, the truth of the word of God. God's going to use them. 144,000 then are going to join those two men. And they're going to begin to preach and millions of people are going to be saved. People are going to be saved during the tribulation. I believe it's going to be a greater awakening than the world has ever seen. Okay? So in the midst of hardship, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of economic uh, struggles, in the midst of persecution of God's people, God is going to save millions of people. He's going to be using all of this to turn Israel away from their self-reliance to the Lord. Um, but now the 144,000 are out of the picture. The two witnesses are out of the picture. And so we see here in in verse number six that God actually sends an angel to fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So everybody's going to hear the gospel. Verse seven, here's this message, this angel's message saying with a loud voice, fear God. And give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, I just think that's awesome. Um, we have some pastors in the room. We have an evangelist in the room. And we're commanded to preach the word of God. But I can't help but notice what, what message God tells this angel, he wants this angel to communicate to lost and dying people who have lived in rebellion against God for their entire lives. And it's worth taking another look. He says with a loud voice, fear God. I could ask you tonight, and I will, do you fear God? Do you have a fear of God? Or do you live every day of your life and you make decision after decision after decision 
with no regard for God? Do you even believe in him? Do you believe he is who he says he is in the Bible? Do you believe that he is all-powerful? Do you believe that he knows everything? Do you believe that you're going to stand before him someday and give an account to him for every word that you've spoken on this earth? I believe God is who he says he is. And I believe, I'm going to, I believe, I believe what the Bible says. I'm going to give an account to him. And you know what? Because I fear God, and I don't always fear him like I should, but because I fear God, it has changed my life. It's changed my priorities. It's changed what I value. It's changed my life. And it ought to change our lives. And he tells these people, fear God. And then he says, give glory to God. Give honor to him. That's what he's saying. Give honor to God. Now remember, the people that he's talking to are unsaved. And he says, give glory to God, and, and, and for the hour of his judgment has come. Uh, we're reminded in this passage that there's coming a day of judgment for those who are unsaved. And then he says, and worship him. Worship him. Worship God. I'm excited for this Saturday because uh, Michigan football starts up again, and they're going to play the Florida Gators, you know, and, and I hope they win. And, you know, Michigan State's going to start playing again, too. You know, we got to put up with that for another season. But, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, I, I enjoy football. I enjoy athletics. I enjoy sports. I enjoy all kinds of things. Hunting. I was going to say fishing. The right kind of fishing I would. You know, if it was big fish, fish, I would enjoy that. But I enjoy a lot of things. Our world today is full of idolatry. We find... We find our comfort in things, but ultimately don't find any comfort. We find our joy in Michigan football victories, but ultimately we don't really find any joy. Um, we, we, we search the world for pleasures and fulfillment, and the world and all of its stuff gives none of it back to us. And it's called idolatry. You know what it is? Our world today and my flesh is prone to this as well, wants to worship everything but God. And the problem has always been this way. It was, the pro- it was a problem for Israel. They worshiped other idols and not Jehovah God. You and I face it today. And in the, in the tribulation, sometime in the future, there will be a group of people who are lost and unsaved, and the angel of God, the messenger of God, his message to them is going to be, worship God. Worship him. You and I ought to worship him today. Why? Because he made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Because he is the creator. He is God. And there is nobody like him. In verse 8, he goes on, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And we talked about this, and I'm not going to study it tonight. We're going to move along. But Babylon signifies, it always has represented arrogance, and rebellion against God. It's a form of religion. It's man's religion, but ultimately is rebellious against God. And it's saturated in pride and self-sufficiency. Verse number, verse number 9 says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, that's the Antichrist, and, and his image... 
and, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. This is serious stuff. Should a person receive the mark of the beast, as it's written here? Should a person do that? The answer is no. And if a person chooses to do that, there really is no escape. They will suffer the wrath of Almighty God for all of eternity. So I, I tell you tonight that if you're, if you're here tonight and you're not saved and, you're, and, and we were all to be raptured and you were to be left behind and you were to enter the tribulation period, I want you to know you can believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you can be saved during that time. I want you to know that. Don't forget that. You believe upon the name of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe today... But in 10 years from now, we're not here, or 50, or whatever. We don't know when this is going to happen. Believe upon Christ then. But know this, you're going to suffer persecution if you do. But the opposite is worse. Because choosing to reject Jesus Christ is going to be a choice to worship the Antichrist, who will be a world leader, but to choose to worship him will mean damnation of your soul for all of eternity. Look at verse number 12, and this is where we'll pick up. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, this is a positive part. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in the sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud, and that's Jesus Christ, by the way, thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and it gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, keep in mind, these, are those, these, these people are the people who have rejected Jesus Christ, who don't need him, who don't believe in him, who have rebelled against him and rejected him. Verse 20 says, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and 600 furlongs. That's 1,600 furlongs. It's about 176 to 181 miles. And from that space, from that distance, at this second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the return of the Messiah, we call it the Battle of Armageddon. 
The armies of the world who will have gathered there in rebellion against Jesus Christ and his messengers. And Jesus Christ is going to return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will cast down and he will defeat the powers of the world. And the world leaders who have led people, millions of people, to rebel against God. And the blood will flow to the height of the horse's bridle. It's going to be a horrible event. I want to I pray for just a moment, then I want to just make a couple observations from these few verses near the end, and we'll be done tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for the warnings of your word. God, I thank you for your word and giving us truth. Father, I pray tonight as we consider this sober passage of Scripture, that which you want us to read and want us to understand, Father, I pray that you'd convict our hearts and lead us and guide us, encourage us, but convict our hearts. I pray for someone here tonight who may not be saved, who's living life just for the day, not considering the future at all. Father, I pray that you'd bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Look back at verse number 12. It's really a tremendous contrast because in verses 9, 10, and 11, we see the stubborn rebellion of the people of the earth, those who have chosen to reject Jesus Christ, those who have chosen to follow and worship the Antichrist, and uh, they're defeated. There's this, they suffer for all of eternity, and it really is, uh, it, on the one hand, it's, it's Christ being victorious, but on the other hand, it's disconcerting. And I remind you of what John talked about when uh, he saw this vision and God revealed these truths to him before he wrote them down. John talks about, in two separate occasions, how when he, when, he, when he first begins to taste or take in the message, it's sweet to his tongue, it's sweet to his mouth like honey. In other words, Christ is going to be victorious, the one, the Lamb of God who was crucified who was beaten mercilessly and, and nailed to an old rugged cross, the one who died and was rejected of men, he's going to be victorious. And so in that, it's sweet to our taste. We rejoice in that Christ will rule and reign for all of eternity. And, 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 and righteousness will be the, the, the state of the earth, and, and God will be glorified. And, you know, during the kingdom of the Messiah, the millennial reign of Christ, the Bible talks about the lion laying down with the lamb. There isn't going to be war anymore. There's not going to be bloodshed anymore. It's going to be wonderful. And, and in that, our, our, we rejoice. But then John says, it was sweet to my tongue when I first thought about it, but as I digested, as I considered the people who were going to die, the people who are going to suffer, the wrath of God upon rebellious mankind, John says, it turned my stomach. You know what? It ought to turn our stomach too. Because this is not, when I think about people dying, and people entering into judgment for all of eternity, it's not something that thrills my soul at all, and it's something that ought to concern you and I. Notice uh, here in verse number 12, he says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. Now, the patience, the endurance of the saints. Uh, do you know that people during the tribulation period, are God's going to expect them to endure? 
Many of them are going to die. God's expectation for them is to endure. And many of them are going to. God's expectation for you and for me today is to endure, to be patient. Don't give up. We're, we're such a uh, my way, right away mentality. That was a great slogan. Does McDonald's use that one? My way, your, your way, right away. Um, and, and you know what? It really is a great slogan because it really does encompass our thinking today. We don't really want to take time to think what's actually in that burger or what exactly allows them to make it in under 30 seconds. We really don't bother me with that. It tastes great. My way, right away. Your way, right away. Um, but, but actually in the Bible, something that God honors and speaks well of is patience. Uh, enduring when you can't exactly see how everything's going to work out. But just doing what's right, because it's the right thing to do. God honors that. He, he, he blesses that. He speaks highly of it. Then he says, they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In other words, all those who refuse the, to receive the mark of the beast, they're going to be persecuted. Uh, and the saints of the tribulation are going to suffer greatly at the hand of the Antichrist. And they're going to need endurance. And by the way, I also think that they're going to need endurance as they see the terrible judgments of God falling upon the earth. Can you imagine being a child of God and living through that period of time? It's going to be an awful period of time. It's going to be awful. And I don't think they're going to be sitting back rejoicing. I think there's, they're going to be, their, their gut's going to be in a knot and their, their heart's going to be broken, perhaps. And I imagine they're going to struggle with discouragement. And I imagine they're going to struggle on different fronts because they're just watching humanity and the chaos in the world at that time. And you know what? God says you're going to endure and I'm going to honor you for it. You're going to need patience to get through this. We need patience today. Notice verse 13, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. You know, God's people can look forward to a great blessing even in death. An unsaved person doesn't have that kind of a hope. To die in Christ is to rest from one's labor, to have rest from turmoil. And the service that these people do for Jesus Christ in this life is going to be remembered for all of eternity. And by the way, that's true for you and for me. How we serve God in this life is going to be remembered forever. The faithfulness. This is, this is really important. The, the faithfulness of God's people today is something that God treasures even to the point where it will be remembered for all of eternity. The, the eternal rewards for those who have done the will of Jesus Christ are going to be remembered. And so to die a natural death or to die at the hand of a persecutor, ultimately, according to this passage, is even a blessed event. Philippians 1.21, Paul said, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's not that we want to die. No, I don't think anybody in their right mind wants to die. But for a child of God, when that day comes, for me to die is to be with the Lord. In fact, sometimes at funerals, um, I've even heard people refer to it as a homegoing celebration. And, and, and you might be here tonight and you say, I don't know what you're talking. That's, that's crazy. You're, you're crazy. You've lost it. But see, that's the difference. A person who's, who doesn't have a hope in Jesus Christ and his, in his salvation 
this life is all there is. And, and you get as much stuff as you can, and, and, and you better get it quick, because as soon as you die and you don't know when that's going to be, it's over, and, and that's it. it. It's all she wrote, and, and there's nothing else. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that this life is a vapor that we're living. It's just a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. But eternity, obviously, is forever. And how I live my life in this life, doing the will of God, will influence my eternity. Notice in verse 14, as we come down to the final points of the chapter, in verse 14 he says this, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Now that is, this is the last reference of, of Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, or I should say this is the last reference, or the last time that this name Son of Man is found in the Bible, here in verse number 14. And, and having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Uh, and, so, and so here we find uh, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 15 it says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Jesus. He's crying to Jesus Christ, and he says to Christ, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The harvest of the earth is ripe. And, and implied is that the harvest of the earth is overdue. The word ripe there has the idea of dried or withered. And really what the angel is saying to Jesus Christ is the harvest is overdue. And so Jesus is urged by an angel to commence the harvest of the earth. And really we could say it this way, the time has more than arrived. Verse 16 it says, And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And the word reaped there means harvested or cut down. Literally it means destroyed. What a horribly sad scene. Man cannot continue in corruption. Man cannot continue in rottenness and rebellion without the judgment of God. The earth needs to be reaped of its evil, is what he's saying here. The iniquity is full, the harvest is ripe, and the time of God's judgment is come. There's another harvest that is ripe, I remind you of today, that's not mentioned in this passage, and that's the harvest of souls around us. In John 4 and verse 35, Jesus said, Jesus said this, Say not ye, don't say this, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. We have time to get the work done. We have time to reach people with the gospel. Jesus said, don't say that. Don't live your life on this earth with that attitude. Hey, you know what? I'm a little too busy today. I'm a little too busy next week. I can't participate. I don't have time to get to my neighbor or to... Uh, to give out a gospel track, or to engage a co-worker. He says, don't say that. Why? He says this, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look unto the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. Now, you and I are living in a positive day where you and I have actually been commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to engage the community in which we live, our family, our co-workers, um, uh, wherever God places us, we live in a day where it's a positive statement. Don't put it off, Jesus says. Labor in the harvest fields today while you have time, because you don't know when that time is going to end. But in the context, and I bring that up to say this, there's coming a day when the harvest is going to be negative. In other words, 
all of the rebellion against God and his son, Jesus Christ. All of the rejection of Christ, all of the rejection of the cross and the price Jesus Christ paid by so many of the population of the world. I don't need God. I don't want him a part of my life. I, I, I'm fine just the way that I am. Thank you. Don't, I don't believe the Bible. That's so many, so much of the time, the perspective and the mindset of the world in which we live. Friends, they are sowing seeds that blossom and grow that have to be reaped. There are consequences for it. And in Revelation, that's exactly what we're reading about. And the angel of God, or the angel of God cries out to Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, sitting on a cloud with a sickle, a sharp sickle in his hand. And the angel of God says, it's time to reap. It's time to harvest. And it's not a positive harvest. It's an absolutely negative harvest. Notice verse number 17. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And then in verse 18 it says this, And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Verse 19, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress, of the wrath of God. Now, so far he's been speaking allegorically. He's using the term of a sickle, a harvesting implement that they would cut off the clusters of grapes. And he's been using, he's been talking about a vineyard, but it's all allegorical. The vineyard and the, the grapes represent the rebellious uh, population of the earth who have rejected Jesus Christ and worshiped the Antichrist. The winepress of the wrath of God. Now, he, uh, the vine of the earth. Uh, the Antichrist and all who are following and worshiping him are going to be cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, a winepress was a device used to squeeze out the juice of the grape harvest. And it, when the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth in mercy, and uh, it, I should say this way, the wrath of God, there's coming a day when it's going to be poured out upon the earth. In mercy and grace, the day in which you and I are living, God has withheld his wrath down through the ages. But there is coming a day when there will be no more mercy and there will be no more grace. There will be no more opportunity to repent. And the wrath of God will press down upon wicked mankind as a winepress. Notice verse number 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city. That would be the city of Jerusalem. In other words, the combined armies of the world, under the leadership of the Antichrist, are going to assemble in that region. Zechariah speaks of this in chapter 14 in verses 2 and 3. He says this, an Old Testament prophet prophesied this. He said, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations fought in the day of battle. So the, cultimate, the, the culmination here, the climax of the tribulation, is known as the Battle of Armageddon. It's a military confrontation that will stretch from Mount Megiddo, 
to the north, all the way down through Jerusalem to Basra, which is modern-day Jordan. And in that day, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus Christ shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And it's going to be the greatest slaughter of a single military action in world history, and it's going to take place next to Jerusalem. The Bible says this, And blood came out of the winepress. You read it there in verse number 20. And blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So in this one-sided battle of Armageddon, the blood of the destroyed armies of the Antichrist will be bridled deep over a distance of anywhere from 176 to 181 miles. The winepress of the wrath of God will be accomplished on that day. So what should we take from this tonight? Well, we should be reminded that there is a harvest that is ready to be reaped and harvested today. We should be reminded that the people who enter into the tribulation period, though they can be saved, will suffer tremendously. Would it not be better to receive Jesus Christ today? Would it not be better to receive Jesus Christ before Christ returns to catch his bride away in the rapture? Would it not be better to be with him during that time? It also, I'm also reminded as I ponder this passage that there is a penalty and a payment for sin. There really is. And even for us, we who are saved, we're we're not going to be in this position where the wine press of the wrath of God comes crushing down upon rebellious mankind. No, if if you're a child of God and you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you're saved from all of this. You're saved from hell to come and you're saved from sin today. But are you living for the Lord? Uh, Or are you sowing to the flesh and of the flesh reaping corruption and destruction? Reminded that Jesus Christ is a righteous judge, and he will always do what is right. Let's pray together, and we'll be dismissed tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love for us. I pray that you'll go with us tonight as we leave this place. Our hearts have been encouraged as we've watched the young people sing praises to your name and, and, talk, and talk about Haman and, and making wrong choices and setting traps and being caught in them. Um, Father, we rejoice in the, in the truth that we can train up our children in the way that they should go, that when they're old, they'll not depart from it, and that we can train them up to walk in truth and to know the truth and to be blessed of you and not be rebelling against you. And yet, Father, tonight as we've looked at your word, as we've continued our study in Revelation, our hearts are heavy, made heavy by the reality that sin And rebellion requires a consequence. And uh, Father, help us not to be like the world in this way. And yet, help us to love the world and help us to love people who we know who are lost. Help us to tell them the truth. Help us to love them as we ought to love them. And do what is right by them. I pray that you'll bless us as we go from this place. Bless our week, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.